Pastor Paul is uh, on a family reunion this weekend, and he's having fun with his family, and I told him to just enjoy himself and, and uh, just continue to heal. So we have a friend of our congregation, Reverend Steve Hammer. Steve, why don't you come on up here? Steve is, uh, was a pastor a long time ago in a church close by here in Monticello, and uh, he had a pretty esteemed staff at one point. Yeah. Your youth pastor is now the president of the Christian Missionary Alliance, John Stumble. Right. Pretty, pretty, you, you made a pretty good pick there when you brought him in. Thank you. And then uh, your worship director was the head worship director at Bethlehem Baptist Church, downtown Minneapolis. Pretty good-sized church. Yep. Had some pretty good impact in Twin Cities. And your assistant pastor was Pastor Paul's brother, right. Lauren. I think he's the best of all three of them. <laughs> and he's now a pastor in Duluth, Minnesota. Steve, why don't you come and bring the word to us? Thank you. Thank you, Joel. Good morning, everybody. Nice to see you. Yeah, I began to follow the Lord when I was in uh, college, and uh, the Lord called me into the ministry when I was at a uh, Native American reservation out in Fort Thompson, South Dakota. And uh, so I began to pray, prepare for the ministry and uh, got some training and, uh, of course, went to serve at uh, Riverside in Monticello. Then we went on for uh, 16 years uh, to serve at the CMA Church out in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Amish country, if any of you have ever been out in the east, it's great, beautiful farm country. And then uh, for the nine years after that, I was uh, in uh, suburban Chicago, Lombard, Illinois, right by Wheaton. My wife worked at Wheaton College. We had a uh, good, good life there, enjoyed that very much. And we've been back now nearly four years and have been working at the district office and glad to connect again with, uh, with this church. One of the blessings of uh, connecting with churches like Gateway is that we can see children once in a while. I'll go up to a church up north one time and I might preach my heart out to eight people and uh, no children, no children. Sometime when a child is four, you might hear that child about halfway through their fourth uh, year say, I'm four and a half. They don't want to be four anymore. They want to be four and a half. And of course, when you're 15, you're so much forward uh, looking to the uh, time when you can get a driver's license, you might say, I'm 15 going on 16, and we become 21, and we turn 30, and we push 40, and we reach 50, and we make it to 60, and we hit 70, and then sometime after that, it might not be uncommon for someone to say a few decades later, I'm 99 and a half. A lot of ministry takes place between the ages of four and a half and 99 and a half. And I would like to talk about that today. If you'll turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Exodus, chapter 15. And we will begin with verse 22. Exodus, chapter 15. And we will begin with verse 22. What is healthy ministry? How does healthy ministry happen? Why do healthy ministry in the first place? And then, maybe most important of all for a church like uh, Gateway, did you know your pastor is celebrating his 25th year as lead pastor of this church this fall? He and Deanna are celebrating 25 years of marriage at the same time. It's no small thing to serve someplace for 
25 years. That's why you need a good right, right-hand man like Joel, who's so good at administration and process. And I'll talk about the sustaining of uh, ministry here at this church a little bit later in the service. It's very, very important. Not only that we have a passionate ministry at the moment, but can that ministry be sustained? So let's read first here about what is healthy ministry. Healthy ministry is found in uh, verse 25, and it is described in five words. And the five words that are used to describe healthy ministry are these. And the water became sweet. That's what healthy ministry is. And the water became sweet. The Israelites were an oppressed people. Moses' family was part of that. Their oppression went so far that infants were killed. Moses was just about killed. He was placed in a basket in the water. A family member of Pharaoh happened to see him and took him out and he was raised in Pharaoh's palace. And so he grew up oppressed and then later on a child of privilege. One day he saw one of the oppressed people being mistreated. He stood up for him and the guy that he stood up for, the the person that was mistreating him, ended up dying. And so Moses tried to hide it. But somebody saw it. He had to run away. He was in the desert for 40 years. And one day, God revealed himself to Moses in a bush. And God revealed himself as I am. Did you know that whatever your circumstances are today, God will always be real to you as I am? But just a few verses after that, after he says I am, he says I will. Sometimes God says I will. All the time God says I am. God said, "Uh, Moses, uh, you're the one that's going to lead your people out of oppression. Moses didn't think he could do it. And he was right. Only God could do it. But he wanted help. So Aaron, his brother, was recruited. They went. You know the story. The plagues happened. Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go. His heart was hardened. Finally, after another situation that involved death, even in Pharaoh's family, the people were allowed to let go. But then they, as they took off, and the Bible says there were 600,000 men So let's say that there were 600,000 women. How many children were there? You're traveling in a desert, and you come to the Red Sea, and the Red Sea was parted, and they crossed the Red Sea, and this is where we are right now. After they sang a great hymn because of the greatness of the Lord after they had crossed the Red Sea, they find themselves with all these people in the desert, and they had not come upon water for three days. And they finally came upon water, but the water was poison. Isn't that how it works sometimes? I mean, you go from bad to worse. You finally come upon some water, and the water is contaminated. 
So what is healthy ministry? Healthy ministry is where something happens that can only be attributed to God. Healthy ministry is when in a church, the manifest presence of God is so great that God actually does something. He actually changes someone's heart. He actually comes into someone's life and transforms them, and the bitter water is made sweet. There is something of the touch of God in a ministry when a ministry is healthy. It's just not man's talent. It's just not man's administration. It's just not man's helps. It's just not whatever our gift might be. It is something of the touch of God on a ministry. And I want to give a testimony today that that is a bit of what the Elk River Gateway Church is known for. God's on this place. There's just something about it. God is here. Healthy ministry. Healthy ministry. Bitter water becoming sweet. Well, when I was a young Christian, I uh, went to teach school at a little town in South Dakota, and they didn't have housing for single teachers. And so they asked people from the community to uh, take people into their house. So this retired couple took me into their home. Their kids were growing up. I got one of their bedrooms. $75 a month, room and board. You know, you're supposed to keep your, you're supposed to keep your housing costs 30% of your total income. I did it. I did it. And I got supper thrown in too. This fellow in his retirement trained hunting dogs. And we would go out after school, and I would watch him train his dogs. I remember one time he took a beautiful Dalmatian out. And we went to what we call the soil bank. Now, the soil bank was a natural habitat for pheasants, and we were right in the heart of pheasant country. And this beautiful dog would, at the behest of its master, run out into the soil bank ahead of us and would stand on three legs and point so tenderly and quietly with his paw. And we would walk up to where the dog was pointing and out would fly a pheasant every single time. It was one of the most beautiful sights you'd ever want to see. Well, one day, the dog got tangled up with a skunk. And, oh, did that dog smell bad. And so my owner, the dog's owner, read up on what to do when, you're, when your dog smells like a skunk. And so we only had one bathroom in the house. He took him in the house in our bathroom, put him in the bathtub with tomato juice. I don't know how many big cans of tomato juice he bought, but he was washing the dog with tomato juice. I can't remember if that worked or not, but I do remember that our house smelled like a skunk for about three months. <laughs> but it was only $75 a month, so what do you do? I was reading the test testimony of a persecuted Christian, and the persecuted Christian uh, came to follow Christ, and her family disowned her, and 
was very belligerent and bullied her. Didn't want to have anything to do with her. But after three weeks, 55 of her family members began to follow Christ in China. She said, and this is what she wrote about herself, I am God's hunting dog, following at the heels of my master, going after the prey for which he sends me. That's a pretty description, pretty good description of all of us. In order for someone's bitter water to become sweet in their life and to have their life transformed, we can't talk somebody into it like we're making a sales presentation. We can't get out our little yellow pad and just go down. And as much as we, you know, explain the gospel as careful, we need the touch of God in the inner core of someone's being so that their spirit which is dead because of sin, is made alive in Christ. We need the touch of God in a healthy ministry. That's what healthy ministry is. Bitter water becoming sweet. Well, how does this ministry happen? How does it happen? Look at verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. It takes leadership. And they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it's bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. That, na that name is, means bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord. Okay, here's our second thing. It might take leadership. It might take prayer, crying out to God. And the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Now, there was nothing magical about this piece of wood, except God showed it to him. And apparently God told him to throw it in the water, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. But when we lead and when we pray, and then after we pray, God shows us a piece of wood and then directs us to throw it in the water. If we throw it in the water, bitter water became sweet. I met my wife in uh, our little college town there. Many of us uh, that were saved at that college began to go to the Alliance Church, and there were six evangelical churches in that town, and we all cooperated, and we were having an evangelistic service that featured the film The Cross and the Switchblade. Some of you old-timers might remember that. It was a story of David Wilkerson 
starting a ministry on the streets of New York, and it was among gang members. And many of them began to follow Christ, and that was the story of the cross and the switchblade, especially one man named Nicky Cruz that was part of that early ministry life. So that's where I met my wife. What a blessing. Wonderful. Well, David Wilkerson led. He cried out to God. God showed him what to do. He did it. Started a church in New York City called Times Square Church. One day a journalist was walking by Times Square Church and on their marquee it said, the church that love is building. And this journalist grew up with uh, cultural Christianity and was cynical and said, yeah, sure. The church that love is building. That's going to happen. Well, it did happen. Years later, after Dr. Wilkinson's death, she wrote an article which was published in one of the New York newspapers, and the article was a tribute to him. And you know what she said about him? She said, he delivered the gospel with the delicacy and the tenderness of a child. And in her life and in the lives of many others throughout the years, decades really, bitter water became sweet. Why do healthy ministry in the first place? Look at verse 26, at the very end, we have one of the compound names of God. There are many compound names of God in the Bible. God who provides. The Lord is my banner. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. The Lord sends peace. God our righteousness. The Lord my shepherd. And one of my favorite verses near the end of the book of Ezekiel, the Lord is there. But here we have a compound named of God, and it's listed for us here at the very end of verse 26. I am the Lord who heals you. That's a compound name of God. One of the primary ways that God glorifies himself is through his name. And that's why we do ministry in the first place. We do ministry for the glory of God and God glorifies himself through his names. The first grader was at his first day of school, and the previous year he had attended half-day kindergarten, and so he must not have been prepped for that first grade year, but he went anyway, and he was starting to pack up his stuff about lunchtime and his teacher asked him what he was doing and he told he's packing up his lunch time to go home he says no you're in first grade now you uh, you got to stay the whole day and he said to his teacher who on earth signed me up for this <laughs> maybe that's how you feel sometimes 
been walking them with the Lord for a while, haven't you? All those exciting first years, oh, my land. Then all of a sudden, the Lord begins to chip away at our life, tries, <clears throat> doesn't try, makes us more like Christ, and all kinds of different things happen, and we go through whatever we go through. And you might say with that little first grader, who on earth signed me up for this? But we don't do ministry for ourselves. It's not about us. We do ministry for the glory of God. And whatever your circumstances might be today can be a contributor in making you more like Christ so that you in the pain of what you're going through, if there is pain, can glorify God in the midst of your troubles. The Great Alliance preacher A.W. Tozer recommended an author called Brother Lawrence. He wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. Brother Lawrence lived in France in the 1600s and joined the service. He was standing a post in the wintertime and saw a tree barren of fruit and leaves. And he said, that's my life, but I know that in the springtime there's going to be buds on that tree, and I know that ultimately there's going to be leaves on that tree, and I know that ultimately there's going to be fruit on that tree, and so I could be that tree. I'm dead now, but I could be alive as I trust Christ. He trusted Christ, began to serve a Christian community. He wasn't educated, so he wasn't high up in the community, but he could fix sandals. And he could wash pots and pans. And do you know what he said in his book, The Practice of the Presence of God? He said, you know what? I can turn a pancake for the glory of God. I can pick up a piece of straw from the floor for the glory of God. As a matter of fact, he said, I sense the presence, the manifest presence of God with me when I'm washing Pots and pans, just as much if I were kneeling with the rest of the people up in the front seeking God on their knees. I can live my life for the glory of God. I encourage you to do that today. Count your biggest challenge, burden, whatever you want to call it. Count that as an opportunity in this life to glorify God for whoever might know your circumstances and whoever might be watching your life saying, that person, that person there, they've got it tough, but hey, they're the real deal. They are the real deal. Last. Can healthy ministry be sustained? This is so, this is so key. Can it be sustained? Look at verse 27. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Wow, it can be sustained. You read on later on in chapter 16, manna and quail are provided for all of these people. Water from a rock is provided. 
the answer to the sustainability of ministry, to the sustainability of healthy ministry, is yes. Now, how is ministry at Elk River able to be sustained? It's a healthy ministry. Bitter water has become sweet here. There's a good spirit here. There has been the sense that there has been leadership. There has been prayer. There has been obedience to God in doing what God pointed out to do, throwing your stick in the water, right? You've done it for the glory of God. So now, can it be sustained? And the answer is yes. Because we all are called to be what Jim's call, Jim Collins calls level five leaders. And each of us can be a level five leader. We're not all leaders in the church. We're not all leaders at our work, but we could be a leader in our home. We can be a leader of our own life. Here's the definition of a level five leader. A level five leader is humble. And a level five leader is determined. I want to say today that if you are humble and if you are determined, if a church is humble and a church is determined, healthy ministry can be sustained indefinitely until Christ comes and takes his church to be with him. Ken Sandy has written a book called Peacemaker. He's an attorney in Montana and now heads a ministry called Relational Wisdom. When he was in law school, he tells the story about how he invited someone to attend church with her. The person he invited was a fellow student, a skeptic. She was sick at church. She was tired at church. Her name was Cindy. So they come to the church, they drive separately, they meet at the church, they're going to sit by each other, so they sat down at the church, and before the service started, there was something different that was happening in the church. And at first, Ken didn't realize what was going on. And the pastor came up to the front with an elder of the church. And then Ken remembered that pastor and that elder had gotten in a dispute in Sunday school the previous week and they had both lost their tempers. And now, what were we going to do? Anyway, the two got up and said, we were sinful. We were wrong. We got together that Sunday afternoon and we made it right and because it was in a public setting, we felt like we should say something publicly about it and we just repent. We're so sorry. Please forgive us for being such horrible leaders. And we've forgiven each other. We've confessed. Oh, this is my dear brother. This is my dear brother in, in Christ. And Ken said, what a day to bring somebody to church. To get up there and air your dirty laundry that the church isn't perfect. Oh, how humiliating and embarrassing this is to have a guest on this day. 
So after the service, everything goes okay. And after the service, they're walking back out to their cars. And Cindy said, do you guys do this every week? If so, I'm in. And over a period of a few months, Christ became real to her. And this skeptic, who was smart, submitted to the cross, invited the Lord Jesus Christ to come into her life, and has had a ministry of reconciliation of people to God through Christ since that time because there was level five leadership in the church. Humility and determination. Determination that you're going to do the right thing. So some of us here today might be four and a half. I hope there's a four and a half year old here today. Some of us might be 99 and a half. I, hope, I wish there was a 99 and a halfer here today. One of our pastors, let's see what it would be, pastor's wives... Mother's is a hundred. Mother is a hundred and eight. <laughs> oh, actually, he just retired from Northfield Alliance Church. Yeah, he's a chaplain now. A lot of ministry, a lot of ministry. Is the ministry healthy? Is it marked by the touch of God? Is there obedience? Is there prayer? Is there leadership? Yes. Do we glorify God? Even if it's a meager assignment that God has given us. And can it be sustained through humility and determination? Lord, I pray that for this church. I pray that for this staff. Thank you for their call. Thank you for their conviction. Thank you for their character. Thank you for their chemistry. Thank you for their competency. But that isn't enough. We need your touch to sustain. Surely the Lord is the one who sustains me. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. Lord, for our deepest family hurt, touch us down into the core of our being so that we know that even out of the ashes of what we are going through, you can bring glory to yourself. Our trust is in you. In Jesus' name.